Okay, greetings and welcome to another episode of I Have Something to Say. I'm the host, Dr. Stephen Levy. I have my master's in social work as well as my PhD in social welfare. And pretty much I have a very large student loan bill that says I can work with people and with little organizations. So, you know, I, I'll be uh, paying that off for generations to come, but you know, education is important and that's what we do. But if uh, you tuned in before, you know, certainly welcome back. And if this is your first time tuning into I Have Something to Say, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. And today, I usually say, you know, we have a very special guest. But normally when someone comes on the show, I have a very good idea of what they're going to talk about and what field, what specialty they're in. But to be honest with you, today I have no idea. I actually had to look up the definition of what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm very excited to welcome Jennifer Willis uh, to the podcast. She graduated from Texas Wesleyan University with a master's in professional counseling. She maintains a private counseling practice specializing in perinatal mental health, is certified in perinatal mental health, and sits on the board for the Texas chapter of Postpartum Support International. Jennifer is a mental health consultant for the local mental health authority, uh, where she's been there for 12 years. And she's married to her husband, David, and together they have one daughter, Olivia, and a cat, Calypso. Yes. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Happy New Year. And to you, you know, thank you. We all made it out of, well, most of us made it out of 2020 with a fairly unscathed, so. It, it, it's funny, everybody was so looking forward to like 2021 and we woke up on January 1st and it was no difference than December 31st. <laughs> We're still in a pandemic. <laughs> I know, it's I told my clients, pandemic. I said, you know, don't put a lot on 2021. She's got a lot on her back, you know, <laughs> and uh, keep your expectations low. So I think 2022 is going to be when we can really cut loose and celebrate. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the summer because I've already promised my kids, I have two uh, daughters, 14 and 12, that in July they go to sleepaway camp. So I already promised them that they're going to go this summer. You know, and you don't break that promise to your child. <laughs> so if that does not happen, I'll be coming to visit you in Texas. <laughs> we have a great spare room and a pool. <laughs> For about six months, so. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, um, my cat might have something to say about that, so. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, we were so, supposed to go uh, on vacation back in May, and our cruise got canceled, and so we rebooked for December of this year with the hopes that maybe by then we can be good. So, you know, it was really hard to tell. My daughter is five, and uh, I'm sorry, five and a half going on 13. But, of course. Yes, and so uh, it was, it was, we were afraid to tell her because she had been so looking forward to the cruise. So when we broke the news to her, she took it pretty well. What she didn't take well was the ice cream store around the corner being closed. That, that, was, that was the meltdown point. But you know what? We sat down on the floor next to her and said, you know what? We feel the same way. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. there are some things that are important, and then there are some things that are really important. And the yes. ice cream is in the really important category. Uh, it was at the top of the list. It yeah. went of the cruise, which, you know, I mean, yeah. I can't blame her. <laughs> I can feel her pain. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the show. Um, so what is perinatal mental health? Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, I love to talk about this. Um, 
because it is something that few people really know. You probably have heard of it by a different name, perhaps postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Um, but we like to use the term perinatal because we don't want to say it only happens after the birth. Um, a lot of these things can start beforehand, the anxiety, depression, um, sometimes psychosis. A lot of people may be more familiar with the Andrea Yates case down in Houston a number of years ago. She was the, the mom that drowned her five children hmm. in the bathtub, and um, she got a lot of, lot of hate around that, and it was a horrible thing that happened. But what people didn't, you know, a lot of people don't understand is that was, that was a postpartum psychosis. And it went untreated. She hadn't had, you know, she didn't have counseling. She didn't have the proper medical attention and it went unaddressed. And a lot of times people are afraid to talk about postpartum depression because they think that that's what it is. And they think that, you know, is, am I going to, you know, is, am I going to end up being a worst case scenario? Right. And that the matter is the psychosis cases happen so infrequently, but a lot of women, and I think the, uh, the most recent numbers I've heard are about 20 percent of women suffer 25 25 wow 25 yeah 25 of women uh, pregnant and um pregnant women who give birth um suffer from this and it which makes it the one of the largest um complications of birth but the least treated because people are moms are afraid to talk about it and struggle of mine when i gave birth to my daughter i you know nobody talked to me about it and so the, until the last day of my hospital stay, I was there for five days and had a C-section. And the nurse in passing said, if you, if you have any trouble with postpartum depression, call your doctor. I thought, well, I'm a mental health professional. Why would I? I'm fine. I've got this together. I mean, right? Don't we all have our act together? Of course. Of course. So I get home on day one and I'm already in tears feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not enjoying it because it's really hard. I didn't have any siblings. I had a really great... Uh, like my parents were wonderful and they're very attentive and they're there and supportive. I had all the support in the world and I felt like I was failing from day one. I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't enjoying it. And, but I didn't want to tell anybody. So I would bottle it up inside and bottle it up until I think it was my first mother's day, which I think that would put Olivia at, I don't know. She was just a few weeks old. And I, my husband was like, why don't you go upstairs, take a nap, relax. So I shut my in our guest room and I just sobbed and I started going down this spiral of you know if I don't pull my act together if I don't stop crying he's gonna leave me and he's gonna take Olivia and it just went it really went to a dark place and so I went downstairs and I said I need to tell you I'm like this is really hard and I'm struggling and this is where my mind went and God love that man he said I think we probably need to call your doctor and he said none of that's gonna happen but let's that's call you amazing Oh, he's the best. I think I, I tell, I tease him and tell him he's a counselor by proxy because he went through grad school with me. So sometimes, you know, I catch him pulling some solution focused business on me. I'm like, stop doing that to me. Listen, you know, when you, when your partner edits enough of your papers, they should get <laughs> it also. Absolutely. He should have his honorary masters hanging in, you know, in the guest room. But yeah. And so I went to my doctor and she really spent time with me and, you know, she did a, a couple of screeners on me and I hadn't been able to breastfeed, which had been part of the issue. I'd felt really broken. And um, so we decided that it was a good time for me to start an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety medication. Um, and it was really helpful for me, but it wasn't, I didn't have to worry too much about it. I wasn't breastfeeding, so I wasn't overly concerned about, you know, the medications, but it really started making a difference. And then I started calling some of my girlfriends and I said, did this happen to you? Did you feel like this? And all of a sudden it was sort of like cracking open this huge, 
I don't know, this big mystery. And almost every one of my friends that I asked said, oh yeah, it was awful. You know, it lasted four months for me or it lasted, you know, a few weeks. And, um, and I kept thinking, why didn't anybody talk about this? You know, they, they're really quick to say sleep when the baby sleeps or, you know, um, you know, you can, you know, pick up your house and, you know, all these things, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps, all of this great advice. It's wonderful. But nobody says, hey, there are going to be days when you don't like it, and that's okay. And I was afraid to tell anybody. I was afraid to tell my own mom that, and my mother and I are very close. And um, so when I finally was able to start talking about this, you know, people around me were like, we had no idea. This was really, you were going through that? And I said, yeah, because you're afraid to tell anybody, so you mask it. And then it gets even harder. And a lot of times moms are struggling with intrusive thoughts, and we don't talk about those because... <clears throat> those are the things that a lot of women are afraid will get CPS called on them. And intrusive thoughts are kind of these weird things that pop in your head. And, you know, they're very out of character for you. For me, it was, and this is going to sound terrible, but I would be walking through the grocery store and Olivia is just a few weeks old and she's at her little, her little carrier. And, uh, you know, the, the big columns is like the big cement columns in the middle of inconveniently placed in the middle of the aisle of the grocery store. Of course. Every what if I go by this and I smash her head in and it just falls off, you know? And, and I think that's so calmly and like, and then you stop and you're, and you say to yourself, that was the weirdest, most horrific thing. Why would I think that? Scary. You know? Yeah, it's really scary. And for some women, it's way worse. You know, some women are afraid that they're going to murder their babies if they have a knife in their hand. Or I've had clients, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had clients that are walking through their living room and say, I'm afraid I'm going to drop her on a, on maybe a screwdriver that's left on the floor. And so, you know, when a client tells me that, we sort of, I, the first thing I remind them is, it's a thought, it's not your intention, you know? And 100%. Absolutely. These things just, it, it's weird and it's hormonal and it's really disturbing. <laughs> and a thought and a feeling, it just is. It, what, yeah. It's what happens afterwards, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I always challenge that. Well, do you, do you normally keep screwdrivers laying around on the floor in your living room? And they're like, no, I never do that. And I said, okay, so the likelihood of that seems pretty low, doesn't it? And they're like, well, yeah, yeah, you know. And so we kind of start to challenge those thoughts and, you know, um, in a really supportive way because these, it's such a disturbing thought. And, you know, moms, we're already fragile enough as it is. Um, it's, you know, you don't want to, you never want to shame somebody for that because it's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. It, happens to so many of us but i but i have a question yeah i have not yet given birth okay i don't see that in my future right okay but what i have what i know about it what i've heard is it's an incredibly like you know the, the chemicals changing your body having a living being and then the birth that, i mean that does not sound like a nice day at the massage right so a lot of this is you know your body changing you know, some of it's maybe traumatic. So how how am I differenti differentiating between, I'm just kind of sad, you know, all this mm -hmm. stuff's going on versus, you know, perinatal mental health. Like how is somebody supposed to differentiate between the two? That's a great question. Usually the differentiator sits at about the two week mark. So we might expect most all moms to experience maybe of what we would call the baby blues. Kind of, you know, after about two weeks, you expect to see that kind of, sort of like a fog, just kind of lift and things start to feel a lot better. If it goes on after about two weeks, then you really want to kind of start looking at like, what's, how am I really feeling? You know, is this happening every day? Um, 
you know, what's really going on. And like I say, after about two weeks, then you kind of want to start to think about maybe I need to go talk to somebody or, you know, maybe I need to talk to my doctor. Um, you know, and it's, there's, it's hard to, you know, there aren't really any concrete markers to that we know exactly who's at risk for this, but we know that there are moms that go through fertility treatments or um, maybe moms that have had um, difficulty with depression or anxiety to begin with may be more at risk. I have a number of clients who are still pregnant, but they want to catch this on the front end, you know, so, you know, I walk them through the whole experience and stay with them, you know, afterwards. Um, Maybe if you've had a, maybe if your mom, you know, struggled with some of that stuff, but, you know, a lot of it wasn't talked about, you know, I've talked to my mom about this. I was was born in the early seventies and, um, you know, I don't, they weren't really talking about it at all then. Of course, since I've asked my mom, you know, did, was this something that you dealt with? And she didn't feel like she had, but she also had two younger siblings. So being around an infant wasn't any big deal for her. And she really felt like she, you know, she was okay. Um, but I've talked to other uh, friends who then talked to their moms and say, yeah, you know, some of them have said, yeah, you know, my mom thought about it and said, you know, I might've really struggled with that, but you know, I didn't, I didn't think about it, you know, right. power through. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't remember this coming up, you know, when I went with my wife to all the visits and stuff, mm-hmm. but do you know if uh, OBGYNs are trained specifically to ask certain questions or look for certain things beforehand, as well as what happens afterwards? No, they're not. Um, so what the what OBGYNs typically have available at their disposal is the Edinburgh um, perinatal um, screener. And so it's about a 10 question little survey and, um, you know, asking some questions about depression, some anxiety, and maybe some suicidality. And so they that's oftentimes, um, you know, well, oftentimes, hopefully it's something that they're doing more of. Um, I know, so after my struggle, my OB-GYN and I talked um, in depth about this and actually she's one of my biggest referral sources now. <laughs> um, and so we were, we partner pretty closely. And I, so I started, you know, kind of meeting with some of the other OB-GYNs on the area to kind of like, hey, you know, I specialize in this. And actually there are, there are two of us in you know, my area that are specialized and certified in, you know, working with clients, you know, struggling with this. But I think, you know, as we start to talk more and more about it, as we see more celebrities talking about it, I think the first celebrity I can remember talking about it is Brooke Shields. And she talked about it. And then we more recently we see um, like Chrissy Teigen and um, gosh, here's some, I think, you know, some, a lot of, a lot of women are starting to really talk about it because right. it's a struggle. I, re- I remember, I think it was Brooke Shields. At, wasn't mm-hmm. that when Tom Cruise came out with the anti-medication and that? Yes. Yeah. which doesn't help anything, right? Because no. billions of people follow him. Uh, yeah, and I wish that he wouldn't do that. I certainly respect beliefs, but it's just not everybody's, you know? And, right. you know, medication isn't right for some people, but, you know, for, for me, it really was. Um, and it was really helpful, and it really alleviated that anxiety. I, my husband and I had tried to go for a walk with our daughter. I mean, she was, I don't know, maybe like two weeks old, and we'd put her in. It was April, so it wasn't even hot here. And we got maybe halfway down the block and I've, I've never had a panic attack. And so, but all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't breathe and I was getting hot. And um, I said, you know, what, what if she overheats? We didn't bring ice. We didn't bring water. And my husband, God, I mean, he really, I, sh- I should not hate him for sainthood. He put his arm on me. He said, do you want to go back home? And I said, I really do. He said, okay. So I mean, we walked the three houses back home and, you know, I mean, it was just all of these things, like the anxiety was really overwhelming. And all, all these things, like I would be afraid. I would be afraid. 
I was so relieved when my mother would be at my house and she would help me bathe her because I kept thinking, what if I drop her in the tub? You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, maybe it was six inches deep and it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, she was at a, you know, the little infant tubs. I mean, yeah. it's, really, uh, <laughs> it's almost impossible for your infant to go underwater in those things, but I was still really good at that. Absolutely. You know, I, just, I couldn't see clearly about it. It was really yeah. hard. You know, obviously it's been 12 years since, you know, I've gone through that phase as a partner, but do you, have they added any of that to the, you know, I remember the first thing when we found out we were pregnant, what to expect, right? What to expect when you're pregnant, what to, you know, mm -hmm. do they have any, a section in there about this? Because I know that's the first place many people go. They, um, you know, I've got to look actually. I, I, I don't know. I need to look at that. I think more and more though, hospitals are starting to talk about it. Um, and I am, uh, I have a, a colleague and she and I are working pretty closely on trying to put together kind of a baby boot camp in our area that we want to pitch nice. to some hospitals and really talk about like, you know, childbirth classes are great and they prepare you for the childbirth piece, but we want to kind of cover like what happens after, you know, and you know, what are the things that you want to look out for? How do you take care of yourself, you know, through all of this? Because, you know, I, as mental health professionals, we always, you know, like to pitch care to everybody, you know, what are you doing? And I think probably all of my clients, you know, cause that's part of one of the litany of questions I ask is what'd you do for yourself this week? You know? And, um, you know, that's part of it when you have a baby and when you're, um, you know, when you're constantly caring for somebody else, how do you take care of yourself? You know, and that's such an important piece to just be able to stop, you know, you're exhausted and, and you can't get good sleep. And I mean, it's all of those th things. They just, they, they just sort of contribute to all of those negative feelings sometimes. Is it, is this one of those, you know, I know different, you know, quote unquote populations have different sort of methods of, you know, treatment and help is group a good for this population? Yes. 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 Actually, it is wonderful for this population because other moms find out they're not alone. And that is one of the biggest things. Um, I usually spend my first session, um, the first two sessions with a new mom, um, listening to her tell her story and then, you know, reassuring her like, look, I've been through it. I understand, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to finding out that it's not just you. And that's, Part of, I think, what really feeds into this is that isolated feeling, and especially now, you know, when you're not able to get all the community support that you might have at one time, but, so that's when these groups become really valuable, right. and um, I do a, a Thursday group um, virtually with a lot of moms, and, you know, they, I, it's really been cool to watch them, you know, lean on each other and exchange phone numbers and support each other and you know, yeah, I've been, I was struggling with that too. Here's what I did. Or, you know, gosh, it's really great to know that it's not just me. It's, it's very difficult because the message that, you know, we get, women get is, you know, this is the most wonderful time in your life. I love having a newborn. You bond and you have all this time, right? You get that message that that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That bonding doesn't occur at the moment of birth for a lot of moms too. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, all of a sudden someone hands you this baby that you've been growing and it's like, this is wonderful and this is great, but I don't know you. And you're about to literally, you know, just kind of suck the life out of me for, you know, the next yeah. few years. Yeah. You know, and, the, and um, it's, that's the other piece we don't talk about too is, you know, some of that moms, especially if you're a mom, if you're home alone or during um, uh, maternity leave, 
you've got a baby on you all the time, you know, and then you've got, you know, and then if you've got other kiddos that need stuff from you, and then if you have a spouse that needs stuff from you, all of a sudden it's like you're giving and giving and you're not putting anything back in and you're just drained. And that's not, that's not, um, you know, post, you know, depression doesn't get to claim that as, oh, that's just moms, you know, and dads, you know, that's the thing. We talk a lot about moms, but we don't bring dads into this conversation enough. And I think 7% of new dads are starting to report their own version of a postpartum depression. You know, dads are struggling too. And I think it's a little harder for dads because you weren't the one incubating this precious little pumpkin, but all of a sudden you're a dad, you know, and now you're expected to bond with this little person right. and you, you're trying to support your partner and that's hard too. And you know what? I didn't think about that because I've seen with, um, with husbands, you know, when the wife is pregnant, how they mirror the wife, right? They tend to gain the baby weight also. <laughs> they tend to start, you know, with the, um, what do you call it? The, we're getting everything ready. Uh, oh, nesting. Nesting. They, the men start <laughs> yeah. to do the nesting, right? Mm -hmm. But never thought about like afterwards. So that's very yeah. interesting to be aware of. Yeah, it's happening a lot more and we're starting to talk about it. And uh, Postpartum Support International does a conference every year. And, um, you know, it's really been cool to see how that evolves because now they're having more male therapists coming in and talking about the dad experience and talking about how dads are impacted from this. And, you know, even in the, in the unfortunate event of a, like a, a demise or a miscarriage, you know, it affects dads too. And a lot of times that starts when they don't know how to support their partner because, you know, maybe, you know, they went home with empty arms or they went home with this baby and they don't know what to do either. I mean, I remember the day that we got home, my daughter had, had uh, jaundice. And so they, like the local um, home health medicine at home and had the billy blanket and we had to do some light therapy with her right. for about hours and then she was totally fine but I mean I remember going home and looking at my husband and said who who sent us home with a person it was like this was easier than getting a driver's license you yeah. know and it's so stressful you know yeah. and he was experiencing it too yeah. you know it, more than I did <laughs> right and it, it, it's a very um like when I connect with uh you know hus new, new dads right mm -hmm. there's this overwhelming feeling of guilt if they were to do anything to take care of themselves mm -hmm. it, it's all about the mom it's all about the baby so yeah. if they were even to take an hour and go for a walk it's like tremendous feelings associated. Oh, absolutely you know and that's the you know that's it because dads feel you know they a lot of them maybe they might be the the one that's still going to work, you know, if mom's home on maternity leave or how are that's working out. Um, you know, dad's, dad's, he's, he's got the, the, um, the burden of being the, the sole provider now and, and coming home and trying to, you know, give mom a break and, you know, still trying to take care. I mean, it is, it's a, everybody is in just the state of care because, you know, mom's been home with the baby all day, or maybe mom went to work and then came home and everybody's trying to figure it out. And then there's about, like, what do we do? You know, I got to put the baby in childcare. I've got to, you know, or somebody's got to watch the baby. We got to figure all this stuff out, you know, cause it's, there's so much that, you know, it gets exciting, you know, for a lot of moms at, at the beginning, you know, oh, we're having this baby. It's going to be so exciting. And then as you get towards the end of your pregnancy, you're like, oh, we've got to figure out like daycare. We've got to figure out like formula. 
uh, you know, I couldn't breastfeed. So there was a formula expense. There's, you know, diapers, you know, certainly aren't cheap and all of these things. And that adds to it too. You know yeah, I mean? definitely. Of, you know, all these stressors and it really, I mean, it's, it's a lot. New parents go through so much and we really need, you know, to kind of stop and, and look for like, how can we support both partners? It's rough. And maybe um, when we post this uh, podcast, you can send me some links. So when I post your email and contact information, they could also go places to find resources. Absolutely. One of the coolest things I've seen coming out though is, and it's this program called Family Connects and it's based out of Durham, North Carolina. And it is a nurse home visiting program. And they're starting it up in different parts of the country. The Dallas-Fort Worth area here is one, is one part of the country that they're really trying to ramp this up. And um, when babies are born, um, if the hospital participates in this Family Connects program, what happens is um, they're connected with a nurse. And about three weeks after mom and baby are home from the hospital, well, before in pre-COVID times, the nurse would come to the house and weigh in, measure baby, check in on mom's screen for some uh, perinatal mood or anxiety disorders. You know, if they needed any um, community resources, get them connected. You know, all of this in the hopes of helping to support new families. And in Tarrant County, we live, um, we're close to Fort Worth, we have one of the highest maternal mortality rates um, in the country. And unfortunately, wow. it is black mothers. And we're still trying to wrap our hands around that and see what we can do. But, you know, having nurses coming to the home, offering that support, offering resources, you know, kind of, you know, and being another person for the mom to call if there's a question, you're really trying to strengthen um, that, you know, that sense of community with moms. They just, so many of them are isolated and this, um, the pandemic hasn't helped that at all. That's been no, definitely not. You know, and it, it def it it needs to get out that, you know, to normalize it. Like mm -hmm. this is an experience. What do you do with it? How do you, yeah. you know, and people, you know, they're just so resistant sometimes to get help, right? I should be tougher. I should be able to handle this. Yeah. I don't want to take medication, but I'm sure you see it as well. When you frame it, reframe it as if you get a broken leg, do you just tough it out and it, it'll heal that way? Or if you mm -hmm. have like high blood pressure, you just like, mm, I'm going to make it better. No, you know, above right. the head is the same part of the body. Right. You know, yes. And I have a couple of clients that it was such a victory for me um, to see them decide that medication was anything that they would try, um, you know, because they were the same way, you know, they would say, you know, I really want to try to be holistic. It's, you know, I don't really want to add chemicals to my brain. And I, you know, and I, well, I understand that. But if you were diabetic, wouldn't you go get that addressed? You know, wouldn't you, if you had a headache, you know, would you just power through? You know, so I guess the answer to that one is yes, because some people will, but, you know, it's, it's perfectly, no, no one thinks twice about, you know, taking some Tylenol. If it's below the neck, it's okay. Yeah. Somehow it's. I know, I know. And I always tell people, it's not going to make you not you. <laughs> It'll right. probably make you feel a lot more like you. Right. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm, I'm a little afraid to ask it only because I'm not familiar with this, but um, no sort of the, the Bible of mental health professions is the DSM, right? The yes. Diagnostic Statistical Manual. We go mm -hmm. to that and we look at symptoms and we see if they match something. So mm -hmm. part of that is to help guide us in our treatment. Yeah. But in reality, part of that is for insurance, reimbursement. Yes. We have to put, diagnose something to put on the insurance so they'll pay for yours and they'll pay you know, for our services. Mm -hmm. Is this a recognized 
DSM diagnosis? Do insurances reimburse for this? They do. Uh, we don't have a. I'm seeing you smile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's thinking, one of how those. How do I word this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, let me find the polite way to say no. We don't have a specific diagnosis around this. What we do have is um, an F code for perinatal onset. Okay. And so, a lot of times, I usually just kind of diagnose as um, a major depressive disorder or um, a generalized anxiety disorder, okay. and then use a modifier, um, you know, for some perinatal onset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, that's, sorry. you know, that's something we, we try to fight for. Um, we haven't gotten a lot of movement with that, but I think that's the good thing about getting this more recognized. 100%. Um, is that we can finally, uh, maybe get, I don't know, get some kind of something in there that will I mean, because this is a recognizable thing. I mean, it is valid, you know, and medical professionals recognize it. So I'm not sure why um, we've dragged our feet on putting it in DSM. No, keep advocating because they do update it. You know, they do add things that, you know, at one point are very controversial and then it does get added. So maybe in version six, word five now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think five came out in 2015, I think. Did it? 2014, 2015, something like that. So hopefully, yeah. you know, so that, so, you know, yeah. you think they want to update it soon so they can charge us another arm and a leg for it. So That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> 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 so, you know, something you said earlier was very interesting because I do it as well um, with my clients. What are you doing to take care of yourself, right? And I have trained them enough where if I don't ask a question before it's over, they'll, I know you're going to ask it. I know you're going <laughs> to ask it, right? So my question to you, is, it's, it's part of the, this over question, is what you do, I imagine, can be very draining, right? Mm -hmm. And some of it is probably more clear than others. But in our profession, the big thing is harm to their self or others, right? Mm -hmm. So when someone starts to get towards that area, you know, it, it becomes a very different ball game for us. Yeah. Right. So can you talk a little bit about your training and, you know, kind of what brought you to this, you know, population and what you do to take care of yourself? Oh, sure. Um, so as far as my training goes, I, you know, again, because I hadn't really been aware of it until I had my own experience, I started Googling things as we do, and um, ran across this postpartum support international organization. And so I thought, okay, well, let me see what that's about. And I was reading, there's a whole lot of, and I don't mean to be a commercial for them, but I love what, I love what they're doing to help, you know, with moms and dads. It's not just moms. And they're very clear about that. Um, and they have a whole lot of links and resources and a lot of helpful information. And then I got to looking at it from a provider standpoint, being that, you know, as a clinician and wanting to, well, like, how could I help other moms? And so starting to get involved with that and they offered, you know, and then they had a certificate training, you know, you could, it was an intensive two day training and they would do it in different places around the country. And of course, naturally they didn't have one close to me. So I flew into Grand Rapids, of course, of course. Um, and did the two day training up there and it was incredible. And they bring in, um, they, and it's not just clinicians, they have nurses, they have OB-GYNs. I mean, like it's, you know, and then they have like some specialized tracks with some advanced training, you know, depending upon your field. But for those two days, 
it was eight hours a day of really intense focus training about, you know, just everything like, what is this to how do we treat this? You know, what modalities work best and how do we support, you know, and, and this happens, you know, this kind of stuff happens when, you know, moms miscarry or, you know, there's a stillborn, you know, stillbirth. And so, you know, how do we look at all of that in a really sensitive and culturally, um, culturally sensitive way, because everybody handles it differently. And they brought in moms who had been survivors of uh, even postpartum psychosis, and they would talk about their journeys and what that's been like. So we could hear from their perspective and hear and listen. And it was really moving. And um, they offer then from there, uh, so I earned my certificate and then I did an advanced training for clinicians. And then um, I guess, uh, I guess it's about two to uh, probably two years ago, they offered um, an actual certification where you have to go and you take the big step Pearson and, and um, all of that good stuff to be certified. And um, so you have to go through like the two day training and some advanced training. And um, you know, there's other organizations that do good training. There are, um, you know, there's a, they're starting to become. When, you, when you've gone through the, when you've gone through the training, are there any men that go through it? There are very few, um, but we're starting to see more and more, which is really exciting. And we actually have men that participate, you know, as trainers, which is really cool. Um, I love that, and I really, because um, that's such an important perspective. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, I mean, dads are fifty percent of the of the child's experience. You know, yeah, definitely. It's, it's pretty critical, but yeah. And so, you know, going through all that training and then being heavily involved, it was such an, or, you know, the organization does so much that I believe in, um, that I really wanted to be involved. So I found a way to, you know, like, Hey, I want to be on the board. I want to, you know, do all, I really want to be part of this. Cause I mean, this is just, it's so important to me. And it is, it's, it's funny. I, whenever I talk to moms and I ask you, how are you doing? How's your experience? And they tell me, you know, you don't really struggle with that, you know, in my head, because this is the bubble I work in. Right. So, People tell me they didn't have any kind of postpartum depression or anxiety. Well, surely, part of me is going, are you sure? I mean, I bet you did. Maybe you didn't want to tell me. But um, yeah. And then as I started to um, make my Psychology Today profile and put that on there, and you know, people really started reaching out. I was starting in you know, insurance companies. I'm bombarded, you know, from insurance companies all the time yeah. because there aren't that many people who really know how to treat it. And I think the biggest difference when we talk about treating um, uh, postpartum depression and anxiety versus, um, you know, any other kind of mental health concerns, when I go through my, when I go through my confidentiality spiel at the beginning of a, a session with a new client, you know, we talk about confidentiality and not breaking confidentiality. Here are the instances where I might, you know, everything we say is between us. And then I always say, so let's set that aside. And let me tell you that if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself or your baby, let's talk about it. Because, you know, again, our thoughts are not our intentions. Maybe it's intrusive thoughts. Um, and I always assure them, you're, you're not going to leave here and then get a call from CPS because I would never do that behind somebody's back. You know, I always, and I haven't had to because this has, you know, it's not been that a concern. But I always tell them if, if for some reason, you know, you're really concerned. Let's, you know, let's bring your partner in. Let's, who do we need to bring in to help? You know, let's, so I, you know, I want them to know it's a safe space, you know, that kind of usually. So, so you have never had to call in something outside of a not family? For, not for anyone related to postpartum depression. Okay. That's great. So That's yeah, great. it's wonderful, you know, because I think most moms, they're, 
you know, again, it's those intrusive thoughts, those worries that I'm not doing a good job, you know, and the truth of the matter is, you know, sometimes they'll ask me, you know, I didn't have a babysitter. Can I bring my baby? Yeah, absolutely. I love it when they do, because then I can point out to them, you know, because they'll be, you know, talking to me and maybe doing something for the baby. And, you know, I always say, do you look how well connected you are? Like, look at that. You're all these wonderful things. And then they go, Oh, I am. You know, so it's kind of that start of. So I love it when they bring the baby things. Right. I get to bring all that and, and I think it's. I think it's important to say again, and probably to say lots of different times, right? That because you may have a thought or a feeling that you're going to harm your child, mm-hmm. and you want to seek help, that does not equate to someone taking your baby away from you. Exactly. You know, I think there was a case in California somewhere in the last couple of years where a woman went, she was having these intrusive thoughts and she went to her OBGYN for one of her, it was probably a six week checkup. Um, and she went in and she told the nurse and the nurse was like, oh, okay, you know, and so they, she's waiting and waiting for the doctor to come in. Well, you know, guess who shows up is the police, you know? And so, and then they haul this poor mom and her baby because she didn't have anybody to watch the baby, you know, to, you know, um, I think the local uh, behavioral health hospital. And, you know, it was, I don't know, like eight hours later and they finally released her because everyone's like, she's not, she's not homicidal or suicidal. She's just struggling, you know, but it's stuff like that that makes moms really afraid to talk. That's why it's stuff like that is why moms are afraid to talk about this because they're afraid that someone's going to call, you know, because, and the, the truth is that they just need to get it out and they need to talk about it and find out that now you're normal. It happens. You're okay. You know, let's talk about, let's normalize this. Let's, um, let's validate your feelings and let's, let's challenge those thoughts so that you learn how to challenge those thoughts. And, and I'm having this thought, but that's not possible. Yeah. hundred percent. So if I'm listening, right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh boy, <laughs> maybe I do need to speak to somebody and they can't fly to Texas to speak mm-hmm. with you. What should they look for in someone to speak to? Well, the first thing that I would say is look first, because you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, I treat postpartum depression and people can compassionately treat it. But, you know, when you're struggling with something like this, you want to talk to somebody who's really has some training and is knowledgeable. And um, again, I hate to sound like a commercial for PSI, but they have a warm line um, and it is um, they can call and get a number for a provider in their area that specialize in this or somebody they can talk to or they can go to, I think it's postpartum.net is their website. And there's all kinds of free online groups for <clears throat> for every demographic you can imagine in all kinds of languages. There's groups for dads, all of this stuff. But I, you know, when you look through, and I always go back to psycho- um, psychology today because that's an right. easy way to, to kind right. of search for who you're looking for. But look for someone who specifically says, you know, that they treat postpartum, you know, um, mood and anxiety disorders, and they might even call and, and ask questions. Because um, I think a provider that, that won't ask or answer questions over the phone like that wouldn't be somebody that I would want to recommend anybody go right. to. So I get this question um, quite a bit, and maybe it's a compliment, I don't know. But I, I'm always asked, well, how long have you been doing this, right? Which is not really the question. The question is, can you help me, right? Right. Do you have the knowledge or experience to help me? So mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, should, you know, look for help, does years of experience matter when it comes to this? Because I think about it and 
someone who's new may be much quicker to call someone to help as opposed to someone who's seen it. But I don't know if experience makes a difference there. I So here's my thought on that. I think that um, if, if you're looking at someone that's only been doing this for about a year, this type of work, um, I think, you know, experience, we like people that are seasoned and, and have had a lot of experience, but I also think that maybe somebody that's only been doing it for a year or two, you know, I, they've gone through training recently. And if they, if, you know, and that's, that's kind of where if someone's newer, I would be really, um, I would be really emphatic about saying, you know, if you, they've only been doing it for a year or two, make sure that they've had good solid training because they emphasize in training all the time about intrusive thoughts, about normalizing, about, you know, really doing a lot of psychoeducation around this. And so I think oftentimes it isn't so much the, the length of time you've been doing this, but how, what is your training? What is your like, kind of training have you had? Because right. I, um, even if you've only been at it for a year, you can still be really effective and be very supportive and um, give your clients the experience that they really need to have. Right. So just for the listeners out there who are turning mm -hmm. in, when you ask the question of how long have you been doing this? Mm-hmm. We know you're asking, can you help me? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's more important to find someone who matches with kind of, you know, what you're looking for or how they can help you, you know, yes. because as you said, someone who's been doing it one or two years may be very good. They may be tied into the latest research. They may be, you know, have a lot of energy. Like that may not be the indicator of yes or no. Right. But it's the other stuff that's important, the training. Yes. And you know, and when I was pretty fresh out of the gate with my training, um, I, I'm very open with my clients and I know there, you know, people are on all sides of the fence on this, but I, for me as an effective counselor, talking to a mom who's struggling with this, I'm very open about my own experience. You know, when they have questions, I'm happy to answer. But one of the things I always make sure that I tell people, and this, this started when I was pretty new at this because I wanted to let them know I really do understand. You know, I would say, look, this has been my journey too. You know, I give them, you know, a, like the Reader's Digest version of, you know, kind of what I've been through. And it was kind of like, <clears throat> I realized I was on the right track with that when I would almost watch their face, you know, just kind of go, okay. You know, like it was almost like, yeah, she really does. Like she gets it. She knows what yeah. I'm talking about. She gets, you know, and I would talk very openly, like, yeah, I had intrusive thoughts too. And they're really scary and they're weird because you think I've never thought anything like this before. Why would, why would I, why would I think that, you know? And so I think, you know, for me, it was, um, that really helped when I was newer with this. Um, you know, a lot of people, I would say the majority of people I talk to, like at conferences and things like that, we get into this because it was our experience or because we know somebody it's, there are times when there are people that are, that get into this and it hasn't been their experience, but they really want to be passionate about it, which is still just as exciting and wonderful. hundred percent. Gone through it to, to have a heart for it. hundred percent. Yeah. Because really at the end of the day, if you can connect with someone's pain or you can connect with someone's, you know, trauma, mm -hmm. that's really, you know, however you do it, that's really what it's, what it's about. Right. It is. It is. So before we get to my last two things, what have we missed? This is your opportunity to say what you want to say. I have something to say. What does Jennifer have to say? I think the most important thing that I always want to say about this is that um, one of my favorite things about 
working with this population, um, my population, my people, is <laughs> I, I almost, it's almost like I get to guarantee that they're gonna get to be better. Because, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's, I hate to say just, but when you're talking about, you know, um, anxiety and depression, things that are not related to the perinatal, perinatal period, a lot, of, um, a lot of the healing from that depends on how much work our clients put into it. And, but with this, so much of this is internal and hormonal related that I, I get to tell people, look, you, you will get better. Like this will get better, you know, but we got to talk through it and, and we got to, you know, just come and talk, you know, and, and let's be open about it. And so I love that part. I love being able to tell people that you don't, this isn't, this isn't just how you are now, you know, this yeah. better, you know, but we got with help, you know, with help, yeah. we'll get better. And I love being able to reassure people that. Yeah. That's just, the biggest message is, you know, if a mom is, got anybody listening to this, who's struggling with this, you know, it, it does get better and it will, it will go away but it goes away so much faster when you, when you talk through some of this stuff and find out that it's not just you. There are so many moms who deal with this and dads. And the best thing that we can do is talk openly with each other about what's going on. That's a great message. So what do you do to take care of yourself? Oh gosh, let's see. Um, well, late, so, you know, new year, new me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my latest resolve is, um, trying to get out and do more exercising because I've spent the, the vast majority of 2020 sitting, um, and <laughs> which was, a big yes. um, but, uh, trying to get out more. I'm, you know, I love, we love, my daughter is, she is an outside girl. And so I think she, she makes us go outside, which is great. That's great. So we do a lot of getting out and bike riding and, um, more of that stuff. My husband and I really love cooking. We used to really love traveling, but we don't get to do much of that these days. As, as a matter of fact, we were in Italy in November of 2019, I guess probably as COVID was hitting over there. Nobody oh, wow. knew. We had no idea. So we're really fortunate, but, um, but we do, we love travel. Um, I'm an avid reader. Um, and so, uh, right now I am reading, I'm starting to read a book called Lincoln Flies, which talks about, um, kind of how quirky President Lincoln was and some of the things that he um, liked to do. I love um, autobiographical things. And so yeah. people fascinate. I guess, I mean, I guess that's why I'm in the business. So people- That, is, that is why we do it. The fascination of uh, people <laughs> yeah. take and what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's but, great. You know, my, my daughter started kindergarten this year. So she's actually kind of my hobby now. So we, you know, lots of, she's very sciencey and um, like for, for Christmas, Sandra brought her a telescope and she got all kinds of good stuff like that. So now we're all into looking at the stars and talking about planets and things like that. So she's probably, whatever her hobbies are, are my hobbies these days. <laughs> all right. So it's, she's, you know, it's, and that's pretty, you go to bed and then my husband and I, um, you know, we, we laugh and we have our date nights where we cook in the kitchen together. And very nice. that was one of the biggest things for me is we make sure she goes to bed on time so that we have our time together. And my husband, um, and I are very connected and he's been a great partner and an incredible dad. And that has been very, very helpful. And we are very fortunate to be good family and friends. Just to let you know, there's a chance you may get a lot of emails yeah. from single people saying, how'd you find your husband? And do you know anybody <laughs> like him? You so. want to, it's a funny story, actually. Um, 
we um so i have been single for a significant amount of time because uh we were older when we met and um a perfectly content single person and not really looking to be dating because i had great friends and if i was home on a saturday night because that's what i wanted to do right. and um i had friends my well-meaning work friends who would say we you know we don't want you to be single forever i'm like it's okay if i am and so they nagged and nagged and nagged and they're like, you've got to try, e you've got to try eHarmony. And um, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'll do this to shut you all up and show you what a crock it is. And a week later, it connected me with my husband and then um, the rest is history. <laughs> so that's our story. And Jennifer is not a paid spokesperson no. for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. As I'd be happy if they would pay me, but no. <laughs> okay, so last question. Um, yeah. And actually a client of mine told me this the other day. And so I thought it was an interesting how they identified, right? So who's your favorite superhero? And what what connects you to that superhero? Hmm. Uh, wow, that's a great question. Who you most identify with? You know, um, I think, gosh, I, my husband, I, you know, normally before I met my husband, I wouldn't have had any idea about superheroes, but he is a big um, superhero fan and I love it. And so we watched a lot of Avengers movies. But I always think, um, is it B Black Widow, the Scarlett Johansson character? I think okay. So I really like her. She seems to be very behind the scenes and um, keeping everybody organized and keeping things together. And, um, and, and then, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you're family friendly, but she is kind of a badass. So, yeah. you know, no, you I can love let her that fly. about her. And so yeah. there are a lot of things, not that I think I'm so great, but I love like how she, like, she's behind the scenes, but she's there when, when she's needed. And I think like, I sort of see my, my mom role that way. Like I keep it all together. Like I get us out the door on time. I do all these things, but I'm right there in the middle of it too. So yeah. I think probably the one that I identify with the most. <laughs> That's amazing. So Jennifer Willis, thank you so much for coming on the show. And when we post it, it'll have your contact information and any links you want to provide. Um, so this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun for me. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.